Welcome to Singled In, a gathering place for singles of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their 30s and 40s, also known as mid-singles. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Oliver. We're really excited to have Allison McKee on the podcast today, and she can tell us a little bit about herself, but Allison is a friend from my brief stint in D.C., and she's definitely one of the best in D.C., and yeah, Allison, tell us more. So, yes, so I currently live in Alexandria, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and I attend a family ward here. So I was in the young single adult wards for about seven and a half years. And then when I was 30, decided to go to a family ward. So that's where I've been. And I recently, in October of last year, started a new Instagram account that's called at grownupsingle dot, well, I guess there's no dot com. It's just at grownupsingle, where I talk about really just sort of observations on what it is like to be single well into adulthood. So I'm 38 this year. So it's been essentially 20 years of being a single adult. <laughs> yeah. I had forgotten that you weren't even in the mid singles ward. Like you just came to activities we had a few yes yeah yeah so no mid singles ward experience then for you no so only going to activities interesting is there any particular reason why you decided not to like join the mid singles were you just more comfortable with the family ward yeah so this could be a whole separate podcast (laughs) on mid singles words pros and cons but for me I was just so burnt out on sort of the single scene and going I, I also felt like my life was very one dimensional in terms of the people I was interacting with. So I think for me, the thing I've liked most about being in a family ward is being able to have that spectrum again of everyone from babies to older people. And just to see more of that life cycle in the church, as opposed to this sort of snippet that you get in mid singles wards, where you take people that are all kind of in a similar life situation between a certain age and put them together. Totally. Yeah, that sounds really appealing. Mm. Tell us more about the single scene where you're at. Like, what's it like socially for you? Or what are some of the pros and cons? Well, it's interesting because I feel like my social life has like waned and waned and waned, culminating in the pandemic where I almost died. Um, But yeah, I mean, I would say... At this point, my social life, I do kind of pop into mid-singles activities, and those are really just restarting here. And then sort of the the few single girlfriends that I have that live here that I've been friends with for a long period of time, and then a lot of friends in my family ward who are both single and married. Oh, nice. So there's a mix there for Mm -hmm. you. So Allison, question for you, because you are attending the family ward. Do you feel like that the family ward that you get like support and acceptance from the family ward, like from the bishopric, from the church members? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. And again, could be expanded into a whole podcast in and of itself. I would say yes. And I will say one of the real benefits of the D.C. area is they are very well versed in how to incorporate singles into the church. So our stake previously had the young single adult wards for years and years and years. They've now created a young single adult stake. 
But all of those years I was in the young single adult wards, I was able to go to girls camp or to, to youth conference. So they found ways to really utilize the young single adults. And in my ward now we have, so I'm the Relief Society president and I'm single. Oh, dang. Yeah, the primary president is single and we have a single member of the bishopric. So they really have integrated, you know, there's not, there's not a stigma about you have to be married to be in this type of role. And another thing actually that I've noticed about my ward is there are a lot of married people that attend church by themselves, either because their spouse is not a member, their spouse is no longer active. So that's another thing, you know, I'm not the only person who's there by myself. Yeah. Um, there's lots of people in that situation. How interesting. So you, you still have that camaraderie, even in a family. Mm-hmm. That's right. very interesting. That's cool. What would you say is like the percent of singles versus families in the ward, like people coming alone versus people coming with their families? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's, it's funny. Cause like, there's this one side of the chapel that I feel like is like single, like not, not even people that are actually single, but are people that are there by themselves. Like one person, one person, one person, like row after row after row. Yeah, yeah. So I would say probably if you were going to look at like married people versus single people that are active, I would guess it's like 60% versus 40%. But I think at church, it could be closer to like 50, 50. And oh, wow. Yeah. People that come by themselves versus families that are there. It sounds super nice. I think I'd like that. Yeah. One thing I like about our mid-singles ward is that the bishopric counselors at least are singles. Yeah. So have like a bishop who is kind of like more of a father figure, I guess. Yeah. Other than that, other than he and his wife, who is also very involved, it's just singles. So yeah. Okay. Like, That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like that it, like our perspectives and lives are like a little bit more a part of like mm-hmm. decisions being made or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And Allison, you mentioned in your bishopric, you have at least one member who's single. Yes. That is nice. really cool. I don't yeah. want to call it a trend, but that is, I am noticing that that is happening more mm-hmm. often now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like or like high councils or. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually in the Potomac wards, which are the mid singles wards out here for the first time, I think they have called single individuals into those bishoprics. One person who's in the ward and one person who is actually in my ward got called into their bishopric. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Tell us more about Grown Up Single. Like, what is your, I guess, what are your goals with it? Or Yeah, so it's funny because, again, Lindsay and I talked a couple of months ago. She was talking about wanting to start a podcast. I was talking about how I wanted to start this Instagram account. And And you're both doing it. Yeah, well, but I was saying this to Lindsay earlier. So when I hung up after that phone conversation, I was like, Lindsay has to go through all these steps to create a podcast. All I literally have to do is create a new Instagram account. So I did it either that night or the next day. And so I've been posting since then. Um, So it's still very much a side project. I don't have goals for how much I post and I don't have any sort of editorial calendar of these are the topics I want to cover. But one of the reasons I decided that I wanted to do this account is I just felt like when I went onto social media, I didn't see anything that reflected my life experience. You know, I saw families, 
and their pictures with their kids or their pictures with their spouses. If you search for single, you're going to get lots of dating advice, or you're going to get lots of like, kind of you go girl, like just live your best life. Like, don't worry about, you know, dating or not, or you're going to get a lot of tongue in cheek stuff about being single, but there was nothing really talked about like the practical ins and outs of like, what are kind of the emotional aspects of being single, both good and bad. And I feel like I've focused in this account a little bit more on the things that are difficult than the things that are good, because the purpose of the account is not really to be like, I can take a nap whenever I want, like, ha ha ha, like, single <laughs> life is so great. You know, I think it's more to highlight what are the things about being single you might not understand unless you're single for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I like that. <laughs> so on your Instagram account, what do you usually put on there? So generally it's just stuff that's on my mind. So I, I do have topics that I've sort of conceptualized. And then if it feels like that's top of mind, I'll post about it. I will say one of the big themes that I've talked about multiple times, and I intend to continue talking about is just sort of grief and especially grief associated with when you get to that crossroads in your life, when you're not sure if you will be able to have biological children, Mm. because I do think that being single is one experience and there's sort of the feelings that can come with that. But like, that is such a hard crossroads when, especially as a woman, you say to yourself, like, I see this window and I see it rapidly starting to close. And what do I do with that? You know, do I try really hard to get married and bust out a baby? Do I start to think about the possibility? I'm never going to have children and start to accept that. But what if I'm not ready to accept that? So it's a lot of, again, I don't have answers to any of these things, I'm just trying to put out the concept of like, this is something that's hard when you're single for a long period of time. And when you, you know, reach a certain age, like this is where your thoughts start to go. And what is the answer to that? Um, So even just, I think putting some of those things out there has been therapeutic for me and hopefully helpful to others. Yeah. Do you feel like the biggest source of grief for you over time related to being single has been the childbearing part of it? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it's the most top of mind source of grief just because it's so tied to like biological realities and things I can't control. And so at the end of the day, if I took children out of the picture? Would I be sad about being single? Yes. But it's like, you can find love at 45. You can find love at 60, you know, like in the end of the day, you know, that doesn't matter as much, but I think like the piece of having kids and sort of giving up on that dream, I think is such a huge, huge shift in how you saw yourself or how you saw how your life might go and just giving up everything that goes with this experience of parenthood, which is such a universal life experience. And just feeling like you won't have that is a pretty big realization to come to. Yeah. There's like that finality there that Mm -hmm. wouldn't be. 
So like you mentioned earlier, you mentioned how there's more pressure for women to have children for the, especially for the biological aspect. So at, at what point in your life did you feel like, okay, okay, I think I still have, I am getting older, but I think I do still have some time. At what point were you like, okay, like something's got to change because I am running out of time. Like the time is up. Yeah, that's a good question. So I like to say I didn't believe in the biological clock. I kind of thought people were making it up. Women were making it up. <laughs> and then I, I turned 32 and it was literally like a clock inside of me started ticking. Like I felt it. Yeah. And I think it was the point in life when I realized like, this isn't going to stop. Like life is going to keep moving forward. I am, I am going to keep moving in my thirties. Like this is going to happen. So it was around that time that sort of like the idea was lodged in my brain of what I consider freezing my eggs. And I sort of had it kind of floating around in the back of my head. And so about two years later, when I was 34, about to turn 35, I was like, I'm going to give it until I turn 35, like really push hard with dating. But if at the time, like by the time, you know, I've reached 35, I haven't met anyone. It doesn't seem like that's on the horizon. I am going to freeze my eggs. So I did that three years ago when I was 35. So that's my little backup plan. And, you know, I did a a Facebook post or excuse me, an Instagram post on my personal um, Instagram when that happened. And I said, you know, that's not everyone's path. Like, I don't think the right solution for women is just freeze your eggs and and because it's, it's expensive, it's invasive. Like there's a lot, like there's risks involved because it's obviously, you know, medical, you're taking medicine and then it's a medical procedure. So I don't think it's by any means an answer for everyone. And when I did it, I also had to tell myself like, I'm okay doing this, even if I never use these eggs, or even if I have the chance to use these eggs and it doesn't work. Like I have to do this knowing that this isn't a perfect backup plan, but it, it felt like that was kind of one of the last things that was within my control. And then once I did it again, like, I think it's shifted to being more difficult emotionally, but I think physically, I felt like I've literally done everything I could possibly do to stop the clock for this. That's cool that you were thinking about it so early, like at 32 mm-hmm. and you're ready at 35 to, to move forward with that. And I know a few people who have been more on top of it like that. I think it creeps up on a lot of people. I feel like it still hasn't even crept up on me. Like, I'm just like, eh, it's fine. I'll probably be married like in two years or something, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, I have started as I've had more friends just kind of grapple with that. I've had to address how would that affect me if I came to a point mm-hmm. where I couldn't have biological children, would that be a little bit sad or a lot of it sad and, you mm-hmm. know, things like that, like how much do I want children, things like that. And so Yes. Things I'm starting, starting to think about, but mm-hmm. I do admire my friends who are like very on top of it and did it like early thirties and, you know, or just set in some ways. I mean, obviously there's yeah. so many factors you can't control, but that's good of them to, to be on top of it that way. Well, I kind of laugh because I was listening to Pandora again, when I was in my early thirties and I would get these egg freezing. No way. 
kids. And I like, they know my demographic, like between a certain age. (laughs) I don't know if they know I'm single, but they know. (laughs) Was it because you looked it up before or do you think they just like, oh, hey, yeah, maybe it could have, but I honestly, like that was one of the first things that launched the idea in my brain. So whatever like marketing analytics they were using, they worked. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So when you made your post on Facebook about freezing your eggs and even like with your Instagram account, how have the comments been? Have they been positive? Have they been negative? Yeah, I think that was one of my biggest fears about starting this account is that you just hear about sort of how terrible it can be for people who put themselves out there online. Yeah, make themselves vulnerable. Yes. Yes. But thankfully I have a very small following at this point, although you can still follow me and it's mostly people I know who are going to say nice things. So, yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to watch sort of engagement and like what gets more likes and what doesn't, you know, what do people respond to? I feel like I'm still learning all of those things, but overall, I think single friends have said like, I get it. Like, thank you for posting something that I resonate with or that resonates with my life experience. And then I would say married friends have been just more supportive, like empathetic or like, thank you for sharing those types of things. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I've had those experiences following your account where I just feel like a little bit more seen and that's a really nice thing to have, you know, Mm -hmm reasoning behind the podcast and everything too Mm -hmm. yeah and then I wonder if the married couples or the ones that are no longer single when they do read your post does it kind of remind them oh yeah I remember going through that yeah that's I always say I feel like your authority on being being single like terminates at whatever point you get married you know what I'm saying (laughs) like I'm 38 and I can speak to being a 38 year old single person. So somebody who's like, oh, I got married at 32. It's like, well, you don't know. Like I got six years on you. Yeah. I also, you know, there's people beyond me in this journey that are 50 that are like, oh, you have no idea. So at the end of the day, I guess I, and like, that's another thing I've thought about this account. I don't want to have to apologize and say like, this is what I'm struggling with, but I know other people have it harder, have it worse. It's just really like, just own where I'm at, what my experience is. And if it resonates with you, great. You know, and I think for people at least who have read it, I think it resonates in the sense that they love me and they care about me and they care about things I post. But I also am like, not the expert on being single by any means, you know, (laughs) we all have just such a different experience with it. Yeah, totally. Should we dive a little bit more into grief? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we've we scratched the surface. <laughs> well, while you were talking, I was thinking to myself, okay, so everyone experiences grief one way in one form and another. But what are the types of grief that in particular the single people experience? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, you weren't really, it wasn't your goal to attend a mid singles ward because you felt more comfortable in the family ward. Mm-hmm. We talked about this earlier when in our earlier episodes, we kind of felt not kind of, but we did feel a sense of grief when we did leave the YSA and started Mm -hmm. the MSA ward, because there's that grief that you kind of failed, that you're kind of like Mm -hmm. an outcast now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I didn't think about the transition time being a time that maybe you needed to grieve, but mm. I know tons of people who went through like a rough patch during that time, like a couple of hard years, maybe before they kind of like got their groove back or figured mm-hmm. it out. So yeah, that, that's definitely one of them. Mm. Well, I was going to say, yeah. So I, you know, I already touched on sort of grief about not being able to have kids. I think sort of the compounding grief of failed relationships can be really hard, mm. you know, breakup after breakup or unrequited crush after unrequited crush, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you think, and you hope that you like process each one and get over each person, but it's hard. I mean, it is blow after blow after blow to sort of your ego and your like attachment system. And so I think that can be kind of the cumulative effect of that can be really challenging is one thing I've thought of in the past. Yeah. I was thinking how, like heartbreak is probably my biggest source of grief Mm -hmm. with the single life. Definitely each one. I mean, some of them are harder than others, but there's I've like grieved heavily over some like failed relationships, whether it was like my doing or theirs or both. I mean, it's always both of us, but Mm -hmm. yeah. But also I didn't, I didn't think about the compounding thing. And that is something I think about sometimes like oh, I have to go through this again. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's a, this mm-hmm. is a sort of thing, whether I'm like just getting into it and like feeling that sense of like, oh, is it going to fail at some point and be mm-hmm. really tough or when it's like ending and yeah, or you're getting rejected or whatever, what stage you're in. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a hard one. And I also feel like sometimes like the rebounds work, like just finding someone new kind of like helps, helps you heal more over the last one. And so mm-hmm it's hard when they haven't lasted, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So would you two agree that breakups get harder the older you get? Because there's that like finality of knowing like, okay, like I I ain't getting any younger. I got to like make it last with someone. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I still kind of feel like my very first breakup was my very worst, which was in college. But I will say this. I feel like breakups feel more fruitless, if that's the right word. Like my first breakup in college, it was like, okay, now I know what heartbreak is like. And now I can empathize with other people. We're now kind of like you were saying, Lindsay, there's more of the attitude. I have to go through this again. And it's like, I've learned this lesson so many times. (laughs) Yeah. What possibly new is there to learn from this experience? You know? So I don't know. What would you say to that, Lindsay? Yeah, I think it just depends on the person. It hasn't necessarily gotten harder or easier. In some ways, now I'm able to give myself more grace and just recognize what it is and what I need to do to help myself and get the help I need. But something that's been hard for me lately, the last few relationships I've done the breaking up and I've done a lot of like beating myself up for not making it work. So that's been hard for sure. Yeah, you just question a lot. You're like, I'm, you know, in my 30s, I should have this figured out. Yeah. So yeah, that's been a harder thing lately, but yeah, it really just depends on the relationship and Mm -hmm. how invested I was or whatnot. (laughs) To add to that, that's another form of grief of feeling like that you're an adult, but not feeling like an adult because you feel like you should have this figured out. And so Mm -hmm. that could also be not help the grief process as well. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And that's one of the reasons that I named the account grown up single, or rather I had a friend who suggested I name it because (laughs) I do think that sometimes 
either other people don't give us permission to be adults or we don't give ourselves permission to be adults, you know? For sure. Yeah. Oliver, what would you say are your biggest sources of grief as a single person? Oh, kind of along the same vein as what you two are saying. I do feel like there is less pressure on men than it is for women because like we talked about the biological clock earlier where there's more of like a like a rush a time stamp on it whereas for men we don't really people like don't say like hey you know you gotta like start having kids like soon as as soon as you can because you know you ain't getting younger I feel like that's Mm -hmm. more towards the sisters of the church or towards women Mm -hmm. whereas with guys it's like hey like stop fooling around like mm-hmm. you need to like settle down and um your parents want grandbabies yeah it's like whatever. when are we gonna have yeah. grandbabies yeah mm-hmm. but I do feel like most of the pressure which is unfair does go towards the sisters of the church but yeah I feel like some of the men do feel that pressure as well so that could be like one form of grief like settling down not being able to find someone to settle down with mm-hmm. uh for me being a member of the LGBTQ community but still being a member of the church, that is, that's one of the, that's, that is the biggest grief in my Mm -hmm. life right now, Mm -hmm. but you try to make it work as best you can. Mm -hmm. You feel like reconciling those two things, all the parts of that, that there's a loss you feel for different things. Oh, definitely. Because in my mind, you lose either way. It's like, it's a double-edged sword. You, there's no winning by getting both sides you can't have it all exactly you can't have it all you got to choose one yeah Yeah. some people if some people can have it all like good for them and I wish I were those people but for most of us yeah you can't have it all and if you choose one side you are going to lose the other there's like grief and trade-offs exactly interesting yeah well and I also think this idea of how grief you know, when someone dies, you have an event and then you have grief afterwards. And that's not to say that that grief couldn't be very long lasting, but it's, it's defined by a very specific event where the situations we're talking about, whether it's, you know, not knowing if you're going to have kids, whether it's just being single for a long period of time and loneliness or rejection, whether it's trying to reconcile, I have these religious beliefs but then I have this sexual identity and they appear to be at odds with each other Totally forms of grief that they're ongoing and they can be almost ever present in your life. And I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it's, it's like, how do you process this? You know, when you have something that's kind of always with you, how do you create space in your life to deal with it? And I have some thoughts on that, but I'm curious what you guys think. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> Um, so your question was that like, how do we process grief? Yeah. Yeah, Just how do you create space in your life for something that you're grieving? That's kind of this big ambiguous part of your life experience. Mm -hmm. I think I've spent a lot of time being less proactive about it and more reactive, just where it like piles up and I, you know, things come to a head and I need to step back or take a break or whatever it is. And so I think I mean, I like the idea of like making space and maybe recognizing it as, as it's coming versus letting it lots of burnout or break down or, you know, whatever, however mm-hmm. it like manifests when it piles up. So yeah, I'm not sure. I was going to say, you know, you try to keep your, you try to keep yourself busy. You try to keep your mind busy, 
But in all reality, that's not healthy either because you have mm-hmm. to acknowledge it at some point. And if you don't mm-hmm. acknowledge it, you're just causing more harm than good. And mm-hmm. I think especially in the mid singles ward or just like as the singles in general, for me, what does help, not a whole lot, but it does help a little bit with like managing grief or like recognizing grief is when you do talk to others, maybe mm-hmm. they're not in a similar situation as you. When you do talk to someone else, you do recognize, oh, okay, they have their own forms of grief as well. So it's mm-hmm. not just me, they're dealing with some stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get that perspective and then you kind of realize, okay, like they're not, they're not doing that well either, but it looks like they're doing okay. They're, they're carrying on. So maybe I can carry on as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something I've recognized really recently, I was like frustrated with someone and I expressed it to them and they didn't necessarily like understand or empathize or whatever, but even just expressing it made me feel so much better. So I think sometimes it's not even like that you need the person on the other end to totally relate or mm-hmm. whatnot. It's just mm-hmm. the act of sharing mm-hmm. helps release some of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I had happy hour with my uh, coworkers yesterday and no worries. We ordered appetizers, <laughs> so, <laughs> but my, one of my coworkers showed up and she was like, full of energy and she was like super preppy and like super like happy and she was like oh yeah I just came from seeing my therapist and mm-hmm. she said I mm-hmm. always feel so much better when mm-hmm. I talk to her because mm-hmm. and she said it is nice to have someone like a friend or a family member or a coworker to talk to but when you talk to someone who is neutral when it's just you mm-hmm. and that person and the four walls and you can say whatever without being judged without having like someone say anything negative back to you Mm-hmm. It really does like it does energize you. And she totally mm-hmm. was re-energized yesterday when she left after talking to her therapist. Mm-hmm. And so especially nowadays, we have, I think like 10, five, 10 years ago, therapy was kind of like, oh, like we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. But now, especially after the pandemic, everyone is going to mm-hmm. everyone is like seeing a therapist because they recognize, mm-hmm. okay, we have to like we have to discuss this because I can't carry this weight anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've seen a couple therapists in my life and I most recently worked with a coach, but I think the other thing that's really great about working with a professional is that they can actually give you tools, you know, whether it's, let's talk about some, you know, grieving rituals, like, could you journal? Could you have a funeral for your dreams? Or, you know, like some of the tactics they can give you can be kind of out there. But like, I also feel like sometimes we get so stuck in our own heads and our own ways of solving problems that you really need, kind of like you were saying, Oliver, you really need someone who's from the outside who can give you tools to help you deal with it. Like I talked to my coach about this and I said, you know, everyone says that journaling is so great, but I feel like the problem with journaling is I go back and I reread old journal entries and I was dealing with the same thing 10 years ago that I'm dealing with right now. And she gave me the idea, which I had never thought of before was like, you don't have to keep a journal. You can write stuff down and you could burn it or you can rip it up, you know, like just (laughs) writing something doesn't mean it has to be kept forever. And I've only done that once since I've talked to her, but I was like, oh yeah, this is so freeing to like write down your thoughts, rip them up. Bye-bye. You know? Huh. I kind of like that idea. I like that. I like the idea too of strategizing with somebody like here's some things that I may need to help me along the way. What kinds of things have you come up with Allison that have helped you or that you'd like to try? 
Yeah. So again, I do think that like having the account, the Instagram account becomes sort of that journaling outlet for me a little bit. And it is that way of being, of putting my thoughts or my feelings out there in a way that can be seen. But I think another thing that's important is just, just acknowledging that what you're dealing with is legitimate. Because I think sometimes we spend so much time either as single people or other people telling us like, you shouldn't feel that bad. You have a great life. Like, look at all these cool things you're able to do. You know, like, I think sometimes we feel like we can't say this is really hard for me. It is hard to not have a partner. It is hard to not have regular physical touch. It's hard to not have regular, you know, sexual, a a sexual partner. If it's in your beliefs, you know, our religious beliefs to keep the law of chastity, like all of those things are hard. And sometimes I don't think we give ourselves permission to say like, this is legitimate. This is a legitimately difficult experience to be having because you can be so cut off from the things that can be sources of joy and comfort, like just having someone who can give you a hug on a regular basis. Yeah, totally. I was thinking about how taking time to like address like those hard things or those feelings it's not like we have to like schedule out time to like feel the grief or feel the sadness Mm -hmm. or whatnot. I think a lot of times it just comes, it happens, it like washes over us, or maybe there was an event that brought it on. And so for me, like with a breakup or something, just taking time to be sad and Mm -hmm. to um, recognize that you're not going to like feel better tomorrow and doing things during that time to give yourself time and space to grieve a little bit is really Mm -hmm. helpful. And those opportunities will absolutely present themselves, whether they're brought on by something external or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this has happened to you guys, but have you ever had someone say to you, oh, you must be a member of the church because you're so happy. Like they're such a happy mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that is a form of grief as well, because mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of people, especially on the, in the, on the outside looking in, they see us and they say, oh, like those members of the church, I was going to say those Mormons, but we don't say that anymore. Those mm-hmm. members of the church, they're they, they're so happy. They're so content. They like, they have their lives together, their little families, but really like, that's hard. Like we mm-hmm. are expected to like be perfect all the time. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. what they expect from us, but we kind of feel that way that, you know, perfection is required from us. Mm-hmm. And when we don't obtain perfection, we, we get that grief. Mm-hmm. And so do you, so being like in a, in a family ward and like being, mm-hmm. being single, do you feel like, like that you have like someone in the bishopric or like someone in the ward that like you can turn to when you are grieving that it says like, Hey, like, mm-hmm. don't worry, you are doing your best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. So again, one of the really great things about living in DC is that there are a lot of people here that have gotten married older. So there's a lot of people that get it to some degree. And there's a number of women in my ward that I would say are anywhere from, you know, eight to 15 years older than me that are kind of like the generation before me in the singles ward that, you know, they've been married for 20 years, but they met their husband in the singles ward in DC. Hmm. I think there are people that get it 
But I think beyond that, it also has taken me time to get to this point, but sort of identifying, you know, friends serve lots of different purposes and we have different friends that meet different needs. But I think finding those friends, it's like, you're my emotional friend, you know, like I can open up to you about feelings, you can deal with it, you can empathize with me. And I feel really grateful, you know, I have three of those friends in my life that I feel really grateful to have all of them. And I'm grateful to have three because it's also hard to feel like maybe you do have somebody, you know, a sibling or a friend or, you know, someone in your ward that is that person, but you're like, I don't want to burden them. I don't want to keep going to them over and over. Um, But even starting with just one is a blessing. Totally. Mm -hmm. Something I want to make sure we address a little bit, at least is what grief feels like. And maybe sadness versus depression. And yeah, what does grief feel like? And should it feel like a a certain way? Ooh, how should grief feel? Okay, so when you first said that, my first thought was, oh, that's like sadness, that's anger, that's bitterness. Mm -hmm. But the more I think about it, the more I recognize that grief doesn't have to feel a certain way. I think people feel grief in different ways. For me, that was, those are the, those are the things that how I identify grief, sadness, uh, anger, bitterness, but I don't know. It could be different for someone else. And does it have to be like an extended thing to be grief or can it be like a moment? Mm. Yeah, no, I think, are you guys familiar with the stages of grief? The Oh yeah. Kubler-Ross. So she talks and, and they don't have to go in this order, but it talks about I think the stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you hit on some of those, Oliver. And I think maybe we each have, we go to those stages in different parts of our life or depending on what the issue is. But I also identify oftentimes cycling between anger and sadness, I would say is how my grief takes its form. Envy, that's also a form of grief Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you fall. You want what they have Mm -hmm. and you don't Mm -hmm. have. Yep. And like you said, Lindsay, um, I think a lot of grief is momentary. And then like the big ones, like you mentioned earlier, Allison, about like a death or like, yeah, like a death in the family. Those are the big grievous moments that you do need time to process and to feel it out and to explore. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. I've had a lot of mental health needs, I guess, throughout my adult life. And I think something I've had to get better at lately is not labeling any emotions as bad, just letting them be what they are. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes I want to, do you ever have that experience where you feel sad, but it's like a very productive sad, like Mm -hmm. you're like, I'm mourning this or whatever, and I'm going to cry it out, but I know I'm going to feel better soon, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I had a few of those and I've had lots of just like, this will never end. It's hopeless sort of mm-hmm. feelings, which mm-hmm. I would equate more with depression, um, especially mm-hmm. more ex- extended. But I think like both of those are productive or good, maybe not good or bad. They're just neutral mm-hmm. and maybe necessary as part of the process. And so I like that you pointed out stages of grief and that depression is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I want to go back to something that Oliver was saying with the church and sometimes the gap between how we think we should be versus how we actually are. Mm -hmm. I have this theory that I actually don't feel like we have really great models of grief in the church. 
because I think we hear a lot of talks or stories that are meant to be faith promoting. And in many ways they are, but they're the story of the seminary teacher that his son dies in a car accident and he's at work teaching seminary the next day Hmm. or the pioneer that loses their four children to dysentery but they never wavered in their faith in God. And so I think that sometimes I always joke that I want an inside article where it ends with the person collapsed on the floor crying <laughs> and then the article ends. Yeah. <laughs> that's just like that's life. how life is sometimes. And that's okay, you know? And I also think it's in these emotions that we can receive comfort from the savior. You know, if we don't ever let ourselves feel sad or feel angry or feel loss, then what is the role of the atonement in our life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that Enzyme article thing is, I think, true of our our larger culture. I think we tend to hate movies that don't have a nice ending to them. Mm -hmm. So before I joined the MSA, I was attending a YSA ward. And the bishop at the time loved the man. His wife taught a marriage and family prep class. Mm-hmm. And she, I loved her lessons so much because she was so realistic. Like she talked about how like, hey, marriage like ain't simple. Like marriage is not easy. And like, these are the reasons why. And she kept it like real. She kept it raw. She kept it authentic. And so for, for me, I really appreciated those lessons because she wasn't saying, oh yeah, marriage is always sunshine and rainbows. She Mm -hmm. mentioned, and she like really emphasized like how hard and difficult a marriage is Mm -hmm. and how hard and difficult it is to maintain like a happy, Mm -hmm. successful marriage. And so I think you're right, Allison. We think we do need more people like that in the church. We're like, Hey, listen, this is not easy. I mean, yeah, we could be, we could like pretend that we're happy all the time, but like, listen, this is not easy. And we have to acknowledge that. Like, it's okay Mm -hmm. that you have struggles. Like, it's okay that you like, don't want to come to church one day. It's Mm -hmm. okay. If you don't feel perfect because you forgot Mm -hmm. to read your scriptures or if you got to pray, it's okay to feel those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that perfectionism or even lack of vulnerability can be pretty alienating. I feel like that's a turnoff in terms of like getting closer to others or Mm -hmm. feeling connected. What are some things we can do to support others in their grief? Yeah, I think part of it, and this goes to what you were just saying, Lindsay, is like, I think we just have to create more of an environment where people can be open and people can be vulnerable. So I think creating that space for other people and also being willing to share our own grief. Yeah. Which also invites other people to open up. Are there any things that are like, I mean, this could be a whole podcast topic as well, but are there things that are like more helpful to say versus less helpful Mm. to say to someone who, you know, has gone through a challenging time? I was going to say, maybe don't even say anything at all. Sometimes Mm -hmm. what people need is just a listening ear. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't need like feedback or commentary. They just need someone to vent to. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing that I have thought about, especially when it comes to the end of relationships or breakups is 
somebody to tell me that they trust me. Like, I trust your opinion. I trust that you're going to find your way. I, you know, somebody expressing confidence in you, I think can also be really helpful where they're not trying to solve your problem, but they help you, they help reinforce your belief in yourself. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I've been thinking during this conversation about something a therapist said to me once. She said to not pre-grieve like things that Mm -hmm. haven't like we don't know the ending Mm -hmm. of yet. Mm -hmm. In some ways, I was like, well, that's helpful because hope is really important and useful. But then there's another part of me that thinks it's okay to have an ongoing grief. Like these these are feelings. It's it's not something you can just suppress and they go away. I have a sister who's her first child passed away mm. and he would have been a teenager now. Mm. So he like passed away years ago, but she, his most recent birthday, she like had to go through that grieving process again. So even though that was years ago, she is still having to process that grief because she realized like, oh, like he would have been a teenager. And so that's mm. like, the what ifs, like, what would he have been like? What would, what kind of like person would he have been? So like you said, there is that grief that does stick with you. And maybe you do have to process it more than once. Mm -hmm. As long as you are like acknowledging it and processing it in a Mm -hmm. way that is suitable and works for you. I think, I I think that's fine. If you have to keep, you know, experiencing that form Mm -hmm. of grief over and over again, just as long as Mm -hmm. you process it in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful to bring up because I think even if I do get married down the road, I'll probably be grieving the fact that I didn't get married in my cute twenties or, you know, like skinny twenties. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, uh, you know, a myriad of things, maybe grieving just like some of the hard times I went through that, that may be like a continual thing. Hey, we're in our thirties, 30, flirty and thriving. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, well, I like also- my, better in my 30s yeah yes I look great (laughs) yes I'm gonna be a much better spouse now but (laughs) well and I also think there's all of these sort of like ripple effects so for example one of the things I think about a lot is if I have kids my parents are never going to be young grandparents you know my dad's 70 and my mom's a little bit younger than that so it's like even if I bust out a kid quickly, you know, they're just not going to have long relationships with my parents. And so I just think it's also like the ripple effect. And I think to your story, Oliver, it's, it's grieving the different stages, you know, of how old that child would have been or being single first, it's not having children. And then when I did a, a post about that, someone who's older than me said, my friends have grandchildren. So now I'm grieving not being a grandparent. And think about like, again, there's different stages bring different types of grief. How interesting. You don't know what to grieve until it's brought to your attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's something new and surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we need more grief in our life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I will say, I guess maybe to, to end or at least to put grief in a more positive note, Yeah, yeah. like this is very much the human condition, you know, like we live in a fallen world. Everyone on this earth is going to die. Like we just live in a world that's full of grief. And so I think the more you're in touch with your own grief and in touch with other people's grief, like the more you connect with people and ultimately the happier 
you will be because you have those deeper and more meaningful connections with others. And that's also what gives life purpose and meaning is to have things that we care so deeply about that we grieve when we don't have them or when we lose them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The flip side of that is caring. And I like that. Mm -hmm. What are some examples of joy or some examples of what you as an individual are proud of or that you find joy in that you can kind of use to as a counterbalance against grief? Well, I can give a couple examples. I think I, I also like to tell the story or use the example of if you had sat me down when I was like 16 or 17 and said, when you're 38, <laughs> I'm going to be single and you're not going to have any kids. I would have freaked out. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, this is the worst. I can't believe this is how my life turns out. But then if you had actually told me, but like, here are the things you're going to do over the next 20 years, I would have said to myself, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, some really great things are going to happen. And in some ways, I sort of hate the principle of compensating blessings because sometimes we just want the blessing that we want. And why do we have to be happy with something different? (laughs) But the flip side is, And especially like even in the last year, like I feel like some things have happened to me that I didn't plan and I didn't necessarily want. Like one of them is that I bought a house and I got the first house I put an offer on. And it was just like this miracle dropped out of heaven and it wasn't anything that I did to deserve it, but it was just, this is a blessing and I can recognize it as a blessing and be grateful for it. That's a big blessing. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then I just went on an international trip, which is a blessing, but I didn't get COVID. I was able to go. I was able to come back. The logistics all worked out. You know, I've had friends that have had all sorts of issues with trying to travel during this time. And it's like, I don't know why that worked out for me. I don't think it's necessarily like, you are single. So I'll give you like a trip that all your logistics go well as, you know, a compensating blessing. But I just think there are experiences that I say to myself, this isn't like necessarily to offset being single, but I can be grateful for this experience and the joy and like the fact that Heavenly Father is mindful of me. Yeah. I was just thinking about how single life offers more surprises than family Mm -hmm. life does. Maybe not like when you have kids that throws a lot into the mix, but (laughs) like there is no clear path. And so that offers a lot of room for things we didn't even think of or anticipate. And some of those can be really awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, this podcast is a surprise, right? Yeah, totally. And for you, Allison, your Instagram, that was a surprise, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just the things that come up and you're like, wow, this is actually a good path and I might pursue this and I would never have thought. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's been awesome having you on. I feel oh, like this was so fun. Was I felt so, like I was in the room with you guys. It was a great conversation. I feel like you're so wise. And I mean, that's something I've known about you already is that you're just very thoughtful. You're great at listening to others and gleaning from their perspectives. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here with us tonight.